Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. Hope you're somewhere warm and dry. <laughs> and, and and maybe having eaten something besides nacho chips and <laughs> gotten a good meal under the belt before, after the... The blizzard of 21. My goodness, what a week we've had. Uh, Welcome aboard, everyone. This is The Bible Live. Your opportunity as part of our ministry project here is to let you hear the entire Bible every year. Now, we don't do that on the radio anymore. We did that for many years, 15, 15, 16 years, reading the Bible uh, here on the radio. Now it is available there on our website, thebiblelive.com. Go to thebiblelive.com, and you can find uh, our podcast there, our readings of the Bible uh, every year from Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation, and uh, 15 to 20-minute Bible reading for every weekday, Monday through Friday. We'll give you the weekend off, you know, let you hear your your pastor and, and uh, study with your folks at church. But if you want to go through the entire Bible, uh, we have readings Monday through Friday, and the in, the entire Bible every year at thebiblelive.com. You can also hear the Bible readings here at this station, AM 630, The Word. AM 630, uh-oh, is that, I, again, John, I'm, I'm, is that the right, The Word? Is that AM 630, um, AM 630, we'll, we'll get it to you. We'll get that website. John's going to help me get it. Uh, I'm going to have to write that down because I don't remember it as easily as I remember uh, thebiblelive.com. But you can hear the the podcast at uh, the station site. AM630theword.com. AM630theword.com. Good. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Uh, Stace. (laughs) By the way, Stacey is here again. Uh, Two weeks absence, and we've the... But it just made the heart grow fonder, oh, honey. There you they, go. <laughs> several called and said, "Where's Stacy? We no, miss Stacy." Uh, I don't believe it. Oh, it happened. It really <laughs> did. Uh, you are, you are, uh, you <laughs> you have John. endeared yourself to others besides <laughs> just your dad <laughs> uh, here on the program. So Stacy is with me. We are going to be looking tonight and discussing uh, the book of Joshua. We have read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then in we we went to the book of Matthew during that readings. And then now recently we read the gospel of Mark in the new Testament. Now we've come back to read the books of Joshua judges and Ruth. These are three books that, uh, that cover a very significant period in the history of the people of Israel. As you know, uh, Moses has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. They have, uh, God has done a a, job of nation building with them, reminding them of their uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they are the people of covenant, that they are the people uh, that God has called them to follow after him. He has revealed himself 
especially Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to their forefathers, and um, and that he has kept his covenant, and that they are they have a covenant relationship with their God, the true living God, the God of creation, uh, not idols and not false gods that are made up, but the 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 true God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And they they are to follow God. God has revealed himself to them. He has revealed his will, his ways, his, uh, the Ten Commandments, his laws. Uh, under Moses' leadership for 40 years now, they have been um, taught, they have been guided to follow after God, uh, not only just in kind of a personal, individual way, but as a people, uh, the the way of worshiping God has been laid out for them. Uh, the way of, the, of approaching God through substitutionary atonement, as revealed and as illustrated through their sacrificial system, and so on. So God has revealed Himself to them as a step toward uh, His global redemptive plan. God is always interested in the whole world, not in any one group. And so God is at the same time we've been studying and looking at God revealing himself to the people, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of Israel. Uh, God is clearly and, and continually all during that period as well been revealing himself to other people groups, other peoples that we read about in the Bible, some of them, uh, the people of Egypt, uh, the, the Canaanites, other, other people groups that we read about. Uh, they have just as much access to know the God of creation, to follow after the true and living God as others. They they have the general revelation that God has given. But this special revelation, this work of revelation that God has given to the to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to their children, to this nation, this people group now, is part of a the global redemptive plan of God to reveal himself increasingly uh, to all the nations of the world. So we always have to remember that uh, in, in wherever we are in the Bible, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, to remember that as we see God working with the people of Israel, uh, with in this case, tonight we're going to start, we're talking about Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua. Remember, Moses led them in 40 years in the wilderness. Now they were camped at the east side of the Jordan River. For 30 days as they mourned the loss of their national leader, Moses. And then now Joshua is going to lead the people of Israel into the Canaan, into the promised land as they begin the conquest uh, of the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to them. And uh, we're going to that. That's the theme of the book of Joshua. Uh, Abra, uh, Joshua now leads the people uh, into the promised land. Now, the name Joshua, uh, Yeshua, it's the same uh, God salvation or God saves. It's the same name as Yeshua, Jesus, in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so there is an element of this, uh, the book of Joshua. We're going to look at it from several perspectives. Uh, but one of the great elements of the book of Joshua uh, is its picture of uh, the redemptive plan of God, the the pitch, the global, the long term. We have to always remember that this is just another step in the process of God revealing Himself to the nations, to people everywhere, and to carrying out His redemptive plan in and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of Israel, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah, who is to come from this particular people group. 
So uh, we always have to keep uh, God in his redemptive plan uh, in mind as we read these stories. And uh, I'm going to... I'm going to try to give a little bit of an intro here to the book of Joshua. Uh, by the way, we we uh, I wanted to tell Tracy, we we got interrupted by a blizzard <laughs> this week, and Tracy may not have been able to, I'm sure has not been able to pick up her the Bible that she won. <clears throat> we do still have it <clears throat> for her here at the radio station. And the day after, of course, last Sunday, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this week just entirely got interrupted in terms of travel on the roads and so on, uh, and work schedules and offices were locked. So I, I we'll have the Bible here at the AM 630, or, or I can call you, Tracy, and we can arrange to mail that to you. I think Tracy is in one of our listeners from Seguin. And so we're going to make an arrangement to get that Bible that she won here on the Bible Life to her. So um, if maybe she'd like to give us a call tonight, or if not, I'll call her. We have her phone number, and, and we'll arrange to get that to her. But what I want to do is talk a little bit tonight about the book of Joshua. There are several ways to look. If we look at it in a purely historical, uh, from a purely historical perspective, uh, of history and the story of a people group and so on, and and God involved with them and guiding them. There, this is one of the books that uh, there raises a lot of questions because this is a book uh, that is uh, almost in, entirely given to war. This is a time of warfare, the, and you always have to remember that as we think through the book. Uh, war is never pretty. War is never nice. War is never gentle. War is uh, terrible. And what we have to remember that God is carrying out, in the big picture, God is carrying out his plan, his redemptive plan, his perspective. And Stacy reminded me of, of something in chapter 5 uh, this evening as we were discussing the passage and the perspective and how we might approach our discussion about the book of Joshua. Uh, she reminded me of something in, in chapter 5, the night before the battle, the night before the big battle with Jericho, mm -hmm. Joshua was near the town of Jericho. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you on our side or theirs? Are you a, our friend or are you our enemy? Uh, Stacy, share with the folks what you pr the perspective that I, I thought that was really brilliant. What you brought up there, that perspective that helps us as we approach the whole rest of the book of Joshua. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think it's, so. An angel of the Lord appears and, and Joshua says, "Are you on our side or are you on on their side? The Can are you are you for Israel or are you for Canaan?" And uh, the commander of the Lord's army, as he's described as Which says, is very interesting, says... Neither. I'm, <laughs> I'm not the, on your side or the... I'm the captain of the Lord's army. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. So the, yeah. it reminds me of, uh, what was it, that someone asked uh, Abraham Lincoln at one right. point, 
during this. Do you think God is on our side? And he said, Sir, I'll read it. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. God is always right. (laughs) I I think that's a perspective we have to remember as we're reading the book of Joshua. Go ahead, honey. Can you finish up with that? Oh, yeah. And, and, And so just the reminder that throughout the book of Joshua, you can seem it can seem very cruel. I mean, like you said, it, it's it's war and it's uh, injustice and judgment and uh, is always very hard. And uh, and and I don't think that just in the context of the entire scriptures and I don't think God delights in it. I think it is, uh, and and yet it is it is rightfully His place to uh, it and you know have to to give out justice to hand it out and i think that's the important thing is this isn't him uh choosing sides he's very clear with uh israel that if you break the covenant if you act how the canaanites are acting you will be judged as well in fact, and they were and they were israel indeed they were in fact is, yeah in fact is right after the battle of jericho they get soundly defeated by right. a small little town named mm-hmm. ie mm-hmm. uh because of sin in in the ranks right. sin among the people of rebellion and disobedience to god right. so it's not an easy thing uh this idea one of the things that came to my mind, Stacey, is that lots of people, when they read the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the history of Israel, they see war. They mm-hmm. see a lot of warfare. They see a lot of injustice. They see a lot of perversion. They see a lot of corruption. They see a lot of cruelty. And, and not, of course, just by Israel. Hopefully not as much. In fact, what we right. hope to see in Israel is more mercy and, and more understanding, uh, a, a, a little slower to... But still, war is war. And and I guess what we have to realize is uh, several things. One, the redemptive plan of God, that God's redemptive plan, he's carrying out in time and space, in history, and he's carrying it out in a sinful, fallen, corrupt, perverse, cruel world. Mm -hmm. Sin runs rampant in the human race. Right. The Canaanites, their immorality, their sexual immorality, they were, and ultimately, I mean, they were incredibly cruel, sacrificing children, child sacrifice. So it's not as if this is just, we want their A bunch of mean old people coming in and and God tells them to kill everybody and do it. That, That isn't, that isn't the picture. Uh, what we do have to understand, though, that God, this is part of God's redemptive plan uh, to to use this people group who, imperfect as they are, uh, they themselves, as you mentioned, are cruel often. They're perverse. They fall and, and they, they fail, fall to temptation just like other people did. We've we've seen it happen already. We we're no we know that Israel is no stranger to sin. Uh, and but God is going to use them for his own purposes, redemptive purposes for the for the globe, for the people, for the nations of the world mm-hmm. to bring about and carry out his redemptive plan, which centers around a, a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior who would come. And, th- and through this people, uh, as God preserves them and their, his witness with them, and as they witness to other nations around them and keep alive the vision and the witness of the one true uh, living God. And so we have to keep in mind that God's redemptive plan is taking place in a corrupt world. And so, therefore, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. 
Uh, that's one thing we need to know. And also that the book of Joshua can be a very good picture, Joshua and maybe Judges as well, and just the history as we look at the history of God's uh, using and working in and with and through the people of Israel, um, this people group. Remember, they're not all, this is not ethnic based. No. This is not ethnicity. This is about, they are not, they are not a race, a Jewish, they are not a race of people. They're, they are, uh, they share, even the people of Canaan, uh, the same race in that sense. But this is a, this was a group that is chosen because of their obedience and submission to the true and living God, their, their, their devotion to God, the true living God. And it is, uh, uh, and there are many other peoples with them. Uh, even here in, we'll read about in the book of Joshua, there were many people, Rahab from Jericho became a convert uh, and followed after the true and living God. Many, many hundreds and thousands of others were fr from other right, people groups, right. but they followed after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were allowed to live there and work and, and prosper in the nation of Israel. So this was not ethnic or ethnicity at work. This is a, a, a redemptive plan, God using this people, worshiping the true and living God. And it's also a picture of our own spiritual war with sin. Uh, you know, the people of Israel were told to go into Canaan to to conquer the people groups there, to drive out those who would follow after idols and false gods, uh, those who would follow after the true and living God, those who would follow after God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were allowed to stay, were allowed to be a part of the nation. Uh, but those, their, their, their command was to drive out the wickedness, the corruption, the perversion, uh, the cruelty uh, of, the, you know, the, of worshiping uh, and, and sacrificing children to false gods and so on and, and the immorality of it. So they were to drive that out just as we now, as God's people, we are to drive sin out of our lives. We're not to have a peace, a peace treaty or make a pact with sin. Okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but but I like this sin. I like this. I, I like my greed. I like my my pride, my arrogance, my anger, my uh, my lust. Whatever it is in my life, I, I'm not going to. I'm not make a peace treaty with wickedness. We're to drive sin out of our lives as well. And so there is a lot within this idea of that we we can learn from spiritual warfare about these. Uh, they were to drive the sin out of the land, and we are too. And when they didn't do it, uh, they suffer the consequences of that that sin in their lives, that this, that disobedience that they allowed to remain, that always rose up and bit them. In the same way, we when we make a compromise with sin in our lives as God's people. Uh, it will indeed uh, have a price. We will indeed, uh, you know, God is going to still work with us and love us, but he's going to allow sin at times to rise up and bite us and cause uh, cause sadness, cause mourning, cause grieving in our lives uh, until we get serious about obeying him and, and trusting in him to drive the sin out of our lives. So that's one of the ways that we can apply uh, a couple of ideas for applying uh, the lessons we learn in the book of Joshua. So there, that's a little bit of our introduction uh, to the book. It's about God's judgment. Remember, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 
430 years before this, God told Abraham, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants, but uh, first you're going to go down and you're going to be taken captive by uh, and held as, uh, uh, as slavery and bondage to another nation for 400 years, God told him. And then you'll be you'll be brought out. And at that time, he said, the sin of the people of Canaan, the Amorites and the others that were there, their sin would have now come to the point of of deserving judgment. And so God is going to use the people of Israel here in these uh, in this 25 year period that is found in the book of Joshua. There's seven or eight years of intense warfare and battle. And then the, another 15, uh, 15 to 17 years where uh, the, the individual tribes are then charged to finish kind of mopping up the opposition, going to their, the allotment of land that they had received as, as a tribe, and they were, there to, they were there to drive out and to conquer, finish the conquest of their, um, of their particular allotment of land that was given to them. So we'll watch that process here in the book of Joshua, and then we'll follow it on into the period and the time of the judges in the book of Judges. And then we find the little story of Ruth, which is uh, the book of Judges is very disturbing. We see the slow decline, but slow but very steady, constant decline of the people of Israel from following after God in the time of Joshua, obeying God and trusting in God, to to disobedience that breaking every one of the laws of God in every way that could be done, and they suffer the consequences. They themselves are set upon by people groups that would that that uh, conquer them, and and uh, steal from them and uh, persecute them in their own land in the people in the land of Israel, and so we'll have to watch that process all through the book of Joshua and on into the book of Judges. Uh, and then we'll move from there. Uh, we'll go back to the New Testament and pick up at the Gospel of Luke. And then we'll come back, back and pick up with a new era, a new time in the people of Israel under the leadership of Samuel and introducing the times of the prophets and the times of the kings of Israel. So this this is about a 250, 300-year period that we're looking at now uh, under uh, Joshua and the book of Judges. Stacy. What else should I mention as we look at Joshua? Well, I think some of the um, things that I found helpful is kind of as you, it's, there really are some very disturbing, just a little bit shocking even um, in terms of the violence and, you know, even what happened with, um, how do you pronounce, uh, is it Aiken? Aiken, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just stoning him and burning him just is a little bit shocking. I but I, I think, too, the context, um, well, here, these were the things. So, one, Joshua is a book about divine judgment. It's not about human violence, but keeping looking and reading it through the lens of what God is doing and his divine judgment versus what human violence looks like. Um, two, looking at it through the perspective of God's divine patience um, with human evil. And this was not a... And it's not as if Canaan did not have years and years of a steadied hand. And it said even in the time of Abraham, Canaan was evil and was wicked. And uh, he said then, well, I will deal with them later. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so God was very patient in dealing out the judgment. And so we can't, you know, you can, we, I think it'd be okay to assume that he, he 
he waited. He was patient with them, gave them opportunity and chance. Um, so this wasn't sudden. And then divine impartiality. Again, this isn't about uh, Israel versus Canaan, but really it's about God versus human evil and keeping that perspective. And then lastly, um, always keeping in mind, keeping this judgment in light of what Jesus did on the cross. Um, I've always, I, you know, no matter how much violence um, is, has occurred, no matter how much judgment is, is brought down, nothing is more than what Jesus in, endured on the cross. And, and even those Canaanites, uh, even those that he, he, he did that on the cross, even for those, nobody is, is God forsaken. Um, and so kind of keep keeping that perspective in mind, we have to, we have to believe he, he has revealed himself to every single heart and person in mind. And, um, and there's every opportunity for each person to choose him or to not. And, um, right. Well, yeah. The personal choices continually continue to be made. Even in the, during this era, every man, woman, and child had some witness, had some exposure to, uh, the revelation that God gave of himself to every, everyone. And they continually had the opportunity to seek after the true and living God or not. So that, that process goes forward. It does bring up a thought in what you just said there about Jesus and his role. Uh, and, it, and it brings up that question that I've been trying to get to for the last two or three weeks was this idea of how Jesus, how the process he, he went through to win our salvation. I want to speak to it just a little bit when we come back from the break here, just before we get deeply into the details of the book of Joshua. So don't go away, folks. Come back, and we'll show how Jesus of the New Testament relates to Joshua of the Old Testament. Don't go away. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Praise to the Lord who wore all things so All right, we are back. Second segment of the Bible live broadcast. Glad to have you along with us. Um, Soapy Dollar here, and my daughter Stacy is alongside, and we're going to now uh, enter into our discussions of the book of Joshua. Um, we, we've been trying to answer, I suppose, in our first segment a little bit, the the many of the objections and, and critics of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament in particular, uh, dwell a lot on, on the violence, on the warfare, and we've been trying to answer that in, under, th- with the understanding that God is carrying out His redemptive plan uh, here on planet Earth in the midst of a fallen, sinful humanity 
and bo- on both sides, both Israel. That's why it was so significant when Joshua says to this uh, captain of the Lord's army, are you on Israel's side? Are you on our side? Or are you on the enemy's side? He says, I'm on neither one. I'm on God's side. I'm the captain of the Lord's mm-hmm. army. Mm-hmm. And that that is a significant introduction to the book because we need to understand that God is at work here, yes, in and through mm-hmm. and with uh, Joshua and the people of Israel. Uh, he has a plan for them. He's using them. He's revealed himself to them. Right. But they are certainly not perfect. We yeah. already understand that. We've seen that uh, during the 40-year wanderings and so on. So uh, we need to understand. And, and, of course, we do understand, too, that the people of Canaan were corrupt and immoral and perverse and cruel uh, in, in many ways. And that the time was ripe, as God said to uh, Moses, uh, to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, the time is ripe for their wickedness to be judged. And so God is going to use the people of Israel, uh, accomplishing several things at the same time. One, accomplishing the judgment on the people uh, of Canaan, uh, the Amorites and the others that are mentioned. Uh, just as he did, used, uh, poured out wrath and judgment on the people of Egypt when pe- when he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Yeah, and uh, I- Right. And, well, I was just going to, and some, sometimes I think the question then might be, you know, it's really tempting to say, well, is God on our side or, uh, or to even claim God is on our side. And I guess it, the reminder is to, that is, that is never the angle to look at. The angle is, are you following God? Are you on God's side? He is, he is the rock. He is the one that is. Uh, to be followed. He's not following us yes. and doing what we want. And then how, how do we distinguish that? Then how, how do we check our hearts? How do we, uh, and, and actually I would say, I mean, in light of the book of Joshua, it's very, it's actually very easy. I mean, God makes no bones. Look at the way that they captured Jericho. I mean, it was divine. They didn't do anything. I mean, God did it. And I think that that's something too, that we can be, we might, when, when yes. God, when God does it, it's almost effortless in terms of our pushing and manipulating or fighting or willing it to happen. It's not about us. It's about us following and abiding in him and he will do it and he does it. And so I guess I would say just on a kind of metaphor or on a personal note, if you find yourself really fighting and it's hard and I mean, and I don't mean that uh, necessarily spiritual, but you know, if I, but I, if you're manipulating things or if you're, and you're, you know, maybe just pause and ask yourself, okay, am I trying to get God to be on my side or am I relaxing in him and allowing him to do the fighting for me? And, um, not that that, you know, it's not a perfect, sure. type, but I, I would just say that could be kind of a, a lesson um, just in every day. Well, no um, doubt about it. And, and and what we have to understand, and I think most of us as God's people, we do understand it because we've come to acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own wickedness and our own weakness. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that we need a Savior. We need God's mercy. And we have surrendered to to God's love and God's mercy and given our hearts to him when the hopes that he is going to work in us and with us and through us to to not only redeem us, save us from the penalty of our sin, but also work in us day to day, week to week, year to year in our lives here on earth 
to take that sin out of our right. lives. And we realize, though, that we live on planet Earth. And as long as we're here, we live in a context of fallen humanity. Mm-hmm. Sin is a reality. And, and I guess what I wanted to mention there is that uh, warfare, if we want to live for God in, on planet Earth, it may well involve in it will uh, there's no doubt about it it will it will indeed uh involve conflict mm-hmm. a- and it w- with ourselves and our own nature uh, in our families and with w- w- as we uh deal with the sin of, of our family members and their the reality of sin in their lives our neighbors our friends our workplaces we live in a fallen world where sin is a reality and we have to take that uh, that we are to experience God's victory in the midst of conflict. Mm-hmm, right. And, it, and it, it's not going to be necessarily uh, pretty and nice. So they're they're going to be, but, but the victory is there for us as we walk by faith in him, trust in him. And, and, uh, and one of the things we have to talk to, I, I, what you said reminded me of this, Stacey, that we, we are, are a lot of our ministry uh, with crew with campus crusade for christ or crew uh, military is that we work with young men and women going into the united states air force and and many times they ask us about well can, as christians yeah. what do we do about war that yeah. we're going to be in, and, and that's that's the setting environment in which we live right. and, and christians are indeed can be great warriors and loyal and 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 courageous and moral mm-hmm. warriors just, uh-huh. and just war and jo- yeah. just warriors. So in this life, though, we're, it's, we're never going to see the perfect outworking of judgment. The one, the one instance we see it working out perfectly is in Jesus of Nazareth, right. who, who as a man, as a young person, believed God. He, he believed and received the testimony of his mom and dad and parents that he was God's son, that he was that Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, and he internalized that truth and he walked it out by faith in a real world yeah. with where sin was a reality in his own family, in his own neighborhood, in his own people group, in his own nation. And he walked it out as a man by faith. That's why I admire Jesus so much is that he did what I know that I was incapable as a, as a sincere, devoted young Christian boy and young man. And, and now through 50 years of ministry, it's been my heart's desire to follow after God and trust him and obey him in every way. But I failed so many times, so often still even. And, and, and yet the thing about Jesus is he did it yet without sin. He was mm-hmm. tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. And that led him to a cross mm-hmm. to voluntarily for my behalf, not even for his own sake, uh, but for my sake, he 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 stayed in the saddle of faith and obedience to the Lord, and there's the victory, and that victory will be realized uh, when he comes again to establish his kingdom. Uh, we are to gather together as God's people from all time, and to be with him forever. And the job of transforming us into, you know, sanctifying us into his people. Into a world, into an existence where there is no sin, there is no darkness and no sin, no doubt. No, uh, that's we look forward to that. But right now, we're called to live it out in a fallen world, and so that's where we come to the book of Joshua, and we see now we get some good examples 
of God dealing with the people as they uh, are called to obey him, trust him. Uh, and when they do, they receive God's blessing and guidance and they, uh, they prosper. When they don't, they experience defeat. Uh, they experience the consequences of their own doubt and sin. Well, let's let's uh, we looked at that chapter five where Joshua says, uh, "You know, are you an enemy or a fo- friend or foe?" And he said, "Neither one. I'm God's people." Now they go across in chapter six of Joshua. They cross the river again on dry land, uh, as they did at the Red Sea. They cross over and they have this battle of Jericho. And, of course, the battle plan for Jericho was very odd, as you've already brought up. It wasn't particularly uh, uh, in the Mino, I guess, more real sense of blood and guts and war and battle. There was some of that, but they were to seven priests were blowing ram horn, ram's horns ahead of the ark for six days. And the people marched silently around the city. On the seventh day, they marched around seventh time. And on the seventh time, after the seventh time around the city, the people shouted and the walls came down yeah. and the Just attack. Like that, yeah. Now, before this, uh, we read back in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, verse 20. There's a verse I probably ought to read. 2010. 2010. Uh, God had told the people, as you approach a town to attack it, you must first offer its people terms for peace. If they accept your terms and open the gates to you, then then they can, and non-combatants can leave if they want. Uh, that's another aspect of the, of the commands of, that God had given to Israel. And even in the Six-Day War, historically in, in, our, in our era, in our yes. time, they, they still drop leaflets over the enemy. Uh, the people of Israel still drop leaflets that we're going to bomb here tomorrow, if you don't want to be a part of the war, you know, get out of the way. Move, move. Of course, obviously, a lot of times the, the the enemy forces will hold civilian forces by force and hide and try to hide behind them, which creates a a real complication as well. But the point is, is the people of Israel had these mandates in mind, and there were there were opportunities to to for non-combatants to escape to move, and then these battles. Ensued. Now, the Jericho was um, uh, defeated. Uh, if you look at chapter six, verse twenty-six, Stacy, is it's an interesting passage that um, it says. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Then the Israelites. Let me see. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse after the uh, city ha- has been destroyed and then battle has taken place. Uh, Joshua says, May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Uh, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. I don't know. Do you remember? Does that verse remind you of anything? Uh, Egypt. Le- I guess. I mean, no. Later on, when we read in the book of First Kings, sure? okay. there will be an attempt to rebuild right, Jericho, right. and this very thing happens. Yeah. Uh, the the one who is rebuilding the city, his firstborn son uh, will die as they laid its foundation, 
and it, the cost of his second son as they set up the gates. Mm. The, it actually it actually <laughs> happened, right. um, which is a remarkable. It was one of those. One of those little weird, strange, amazing things that we read in the scriptures. Remember what it says when a prophet of God speaks, if it all comes true, he's <laughs> a true prophet. Well, so that, that takes place. We see that in chapter 6. Um, and then after the, the victory over this great city of Jericho, which was a great walled city, very thick walls, uh, I, I understand the, the, uh, three chariots, about 30 mm-hmm. meters across. I mean, this was this was a great walled city. Yeah, and it's, out of, it's also out of that that we get meet Rahab. And, and we meet Rahab, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting individual. She obviously is an older woman now. She had heard of, and she mentions this in, in, in here to the the spies that were sent in that she hid them. They had heard. She gave them information they knew about how God brought them out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that speaks about her age. She would have had to have been well over 40. Maybe when she was a little girl, they heard about God bringing them out of Egypt, or maybe that that news had spread and continued to be uh, known, uh-huh. but she knew about it, and she believed in and sought after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was That was a distinctive. And that's one reason she did what she did in hiding uh, these um, spies that had come in to uh, case out the city. And so Rahab, uh, a a Canaanite woman, is preserved. uh, And we see that in in chapter, what, chapter 6, during the battle. Mm -hmm. She is preserved from the battle. Uh, Our understanding is, uh, or tradition is, that she married and became a part of Israel. In fact, is that she married became a wife of uh, Joshua is is the um, one of the Jewish traditions is we don't see that particularly especially I don't believe in scripture maybe someone can give me a call if they see that exactly where that is held out but that is a Jewish tradition at least but she did become a part of Israel Rahab did and her family was preserved uh, so we see the battle of Jericho the victory there but then they there's sin that takes place. They are told not to take any of the loot or the spoil for themselves. Uh, Achan, this young man, uh, takes the gold. He's tempted, and his sin and disobedience, in the context in which they are living at that time, uh, this was a, had to be called out. Uh, and I think a lot of times when we see God dealing with Israel. We have to remember that God is pre- preserving them and teaching them as a people so that they'll remain faithful to him. Right. And, and some of the instances of God's discipline on them is there because that's the only way they're yeah. going to understand that we must take God right. seriously. And it's really kind of, I mean, it, you can see it as his mercies. I mean, it's keeping a short account within Israel um, whereas with Canaan, there was a patience and uh, slow kind of to anger. You sense that with Israel, he really nips unfaithfulness in the bud. He doesn't let that, uh, God's not going to let that fester right. and grow in Israel. And, and then in, in light of that sin, though, it causes them to be defeated yeah. um, by this small town of Ai. 
uh, and they are defeated and, and they know that something is wrong, something is uh, we, we've, that wouldn't happen if we'd obeyed God. And, mm-hmm. and so they discover Achan, they understand his sin, he pays the penalty of, of his own sin. It doesn't mean that he is condemned for, you know, to hell. This is, he made a mistake. Uh, Joshua calls upon him to to repent, to to trust God, to but but you must suffer the consequences of your disobedience of of this um, of, of breaking the laws of God here in in this time in our life in in this time of war. And so they take take the consequences of his sin, and then the Israelites defeat. I.e., uh, chose thirty thousand of his best warriors and sent them out, and they. Uh, went to war they uh defeated they had a victory in the war and not there was not a man uh they did not lose a single man i believe in this particular conflict i'm looking uh, um that the people of israel did not lose anyone so we see god then faithful to them as they obey they trust and now they begin seven or eight years of definite intense warfare they cut through the middle of the land, beat first the southern armies in chapter 10, and then they destroy um, the northern kings as well in chapter 11. Uh, now, one thing that we want to take a look at the Gibeonites in chapter 9. This has kind of a long-term uh, look here. The people of, of Gibeon, uh, the Gibeonites, they, they um, tricked the people of Israel, they deceived them. They put on, uh, they roughed up, put dirt on their, on their clothing, and they got their, uh, they made their saddles and their animals look old and lorn. They pretended that they came from a long way off, a long journey. And they came to make uh, a pact with the people of Israel. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho, they resorted to deception. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered sandal bags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes and bread, and they said, We've come from a long way. Uh, The Israelites said, How do we know that you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. And they said, uh, we are servants come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and of all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon, King Og of Bashan. Remember, they're, they're talking about the battles they already fought on the other side of the Jordan. So our elders and our people instructed us, take supplies, go meet with the people of Israel. We are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. And so the people of Israel did and indeed make that treaty with them they were deceived they knew they were not supposed to make a treaty with the people of the land of canaan but they were deceived and they kept that treaty with them all the way up to king saul Mm -hmm. saul uh in uh, later on many many (laughs) hundreds of years later he uh punishes the gibeonites the people from this tribe this people group and he is punished for that mm-hmm. because of his sin, because they had made a treaty uh, with them and, and with Israel. And they were allowed to stay and be a part of the land. And uh, they became part, we can presume, 
of following after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob mm-hmm. uh, in, in their land. So we, we see the, the chapter on the Gibeonites there in chapter 9. Let me get, uh, I, John has been reminding me, the phone number, the phone number, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. If you have a comment or a question or a thought that you'd like to share uh, about the book of Joshua and the history we have about the Battle of Jericho, the Battle of Ai, the Gibeonites deceiving Israel, and then this conflict that goes on for seven or eight years uh, as they divide the country, uh, they defeat first the kings of the south and then uh, the the kings of the north in chapter uh, 11. If you'd like to give us a call and comment on that, we'd love to hear from you at 210 340 Dad, did you want to put out any questions? Well, yeah, I was uh, I was looking at that. I was going to remind us that in chapter 8, Stacey, remember we talked about how Moses told them when they got into the land, he wanted one group of people to go on this mountain over here, Jerism, mm-hmm. right. and the other people go on the Mount Ebal, and they were to call back and forth reading the, the, the books of the law and reading the, the covenant that God yeah. had. Uh, reminding them of the blessings and the curses mm-hmm. that would be uh, that would occur for keeping the covenant and for breaking the covenant. And in chapter eight, we see that they actually carried that out. Uh, that did take place. Uh, then we see the Gibeonites in chapter nine. They examined their bread; <laughs> it was stale and so on. And but they didn't consult the Lord. It says uh, here in this particular commentary. Um, several things take place here in in the hailstorm in chapter ten, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a hailstorm. The southern kings unite to fight Israel at Gibeon. What there was a hailstorm that worked on behalf of the of the people of Israel. Uh, chapter ten, verse eleven, and in that, in another response to Joshua's very public prayer, in chapter ten. Uh, verses 12 and 13 we read that the sun and moon stood still till victory was complete (laughs) i have no earthly idea of what to do with that (laughs) that's that's when you know that god's god's working (laughs) (laughs) categories uh, of how to deal with that years later though i heard a story i don't know if it's anecdotal and not true or not but Somehow a computer was used. A computer was used to go back uh, astrologically with the star astronomically in time, and they discovered a missing 15 or 20 minutes, whatever it was. It's it's a little crazy, I know, I know, but uh, I've heard that story over over the years. Well, that's our music. Our second segment is used up. We're coming back for our final segment and consideration as we move through the book of Joshua tonight here on The Bible Live. If you'd like to give us a call, 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear from you. Because it's been a while. It's been like a whole day since I stopped so you could hold me. But this child awaits, strong in the faith. Lord, you are the refuge. To get to, cause I can't let a day go, can't let a day go by without thanking you for the joy that. 
This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When trouble seems to rain on my dreams, it's not a big, not a big day. It is a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> compared to, <laughs> oh, it was compared fun. to what it was I a little friends, earlier in the yeah, week. I, I had friends showing me uh, pictures of their kids from, you know, on Thursday. Just decked out in their snow clothes, building yes. snowmen. It's amazing. And then now, three days later, they're out playing golf. Even that had a certain beauty to it, though, didn't it? Really, oh, yeah. even oh, the was, even yeah. the snowfall and the oh, and the kids out throwing snowballs and building snowmen. I mean, uh, even that had a certain beauty to it. But it, um, they were tough days. Tough days. No water, no yeah. electricity, and all that sort of thing going on. Uh, I hope you and your family weathered it and came out as well with a good attitude and uh, and experience probably something yeah, good. We learned a at lot at the family sure. level. <laughs> we did. We had a great time. We our, we we were without water and electricity at our home uh, for a couple of days, so we went and stayed with our daughter and her family. That was wonderful. We had a a good time, uh, all of us together. So hopefully, your family experienced a little bit of. Um, you know, sideways blessing that way, uh, <laughs> like we did. Well, this is our final segment. We're talking about the book of Joshua, uh, this book that it's a, it covers the the time the people of Israel move into Canaan. They invade the, the promised land. They cross over the Jordan. They have the Battle of Jericho and Ai, and then they go toward the center of Canaan, and they uh, battle against the tribes, the uh, kings of the south. And then the city-states or uh, kings of the north uh, in chapters 10 and 11. And uh, they do conquer then the promised land. And then the land is allotted to the different tribes. Uh, and each of the tribes re- receive their allotment. Uh, first, the, um, the land is given to the tribes. Let me see here. The way the process, was, process it was done... Uh, let me see. I'm trying to find it. Certain tribes received their land allotments, and then, uh, and then they uh, the other tribes the lots were cast for the other tribes to to know what. After Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, Judah, and Ephraim had received their land, uh, Joshua determined which land the other seven tribes would inherit. By casting the sacred lots, the Urim and the Thummim we've read about back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 18. So the tribes then, the allotment of the land is finished to the different tribes. Remember that the tribe of Manasseh, uh, often you'll see it written, the half tribe, half of the tribe of Manasseh took their inheritance of land on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, They came over the Jordan and fought and helped the others conquer their land as well. But then they returned to the east side of the Jordan for their for their uh, inheritance. The half tribe of Manasseh on the east and half tribe inherited land on the west side of the Jordan in Canaan proper. So we see that take place. Uh, 
we see a race of giants is mentioned, uh, and th- they lived in the land that Caleb. Caleb is an interesting individual. Mm-hmm. He was uh, along with uh, a lot of emphasis is given to Joshua, yeah. because Joshua became the leader of the people of Israel. But Caleb uh, was the other old guy uh, who was older. He, he did. He came back with a faithful, faith-filled. Uh, determination to take the, go into the Canaan, into the land, and conquer the land 40 years earlier. But, uh, of course, the, the majority uh, won out, and they didn't do so. But he and Joshua uh, survived. They lived all of these many years. And Caleb is given land, and when he is offered, what land do you want? Here he is, 85 years of age, and he says, give me that mountain. <laughs> That's I like that. It's, I like that. It's encouraging so. to us older folk. Uh, <laughs> Caleb is. He's such an inspiration. Give me that mountain. And he took the land that was uh, inhabited by giants, actually. Uh, a race of giants called the Anakites lived in that land, that the part of the land that Caleb requested. And he defeated them and drove them uh, out of his land, uh, the land that he had inherited there. So Caleb is a great example. Uh, I love to just his daughter. Yeah, is oh. interesting. Why well, as my daughter is. Uh, <laughs> I well, thought I just, you might like you might like to talk about Oxaw, his oh. daughter. Uh, <laughs> well, she married the, the first of the twelve judges. Right. She Othniel. married Othniel. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just love the patience of Caleb. You, you know, he gets the mountain, but that was so at forty. He was promised the land. He received it when he was 85. 85, yes. And it's just so contrary to our way of, our, our timeline. Is, we want it now. We want it uh, now. Yeah. But I, I, like, I like that. Anyway. That is a, a great, like I said, there are a lot of examples for us, both in the individuals and in the way Israel as a whole approaches these ta- this task. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can learn about our own walk with God, our own uh, driving the sin and the the enemy out of our lives. That's what we're to do as well. The idolatry and the wickedness and the the, the overcoming of the temptations and uh, for our spiritual well-being as well. So a lot of things that we can learn uh, in the book of Joshua, in the example of Joshua, these years of warfare. Now, uh, let's talk about the cities of refuge. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can explain that concept. The the tribe of the Levites, they are the one of the 12 tribes that did not receive an allotment of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't. Uh, and because they're made, the, the Levites were not to be uh, burdened in a sense with with. with uh, businesses and, and this and that and the other and, and making uh, herds and that sort of thing uh, was not to be their primary role. You mean commerce? Role. Like in, commerce, you mean? In commerce. Mm-hmm. They were to be look out for the well-being of the whole of the nation, mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual well-being in, in, in teaching the law and teaching God's Word and, and, and in counseling the marriages and so on, the homes and the families. Uh, into uh, staffing the tabernacle and where the people were, uh, and how they uh, exercised their sacrifice. You know the the uh, the, the the days of um, the holidays that they had that were all had spiritual dimensions and definitions, and so the people uh, the Levites were to do that, and they were involved in looking out for the health and well-being of the nation, 
and they were part of the the uh, judicial system. Maybe you can uh, talk of this cities of refuge was an outworking of uh, the the system of justice that yeah. they had. Yeah. When people broke the law, if someone uh, murdered or accidentally even killed someone, they, they had issues among themselves. And usually uh, different families and clans uh, would... Uh, would avenge they would seek they would go out and make justice if someone mm-hmm. murdered someone then an avenger from the family would go they would track down the killer uh, and there would be a trial and then they would they would kill him they would that was the way the justice was done in that sort of a an environment now the cities of refuge were a little bit of an interruption of that of that a little bit of a refinement of that so that a person who accidentally killed someone didn't intend to or wasn't murder, self-defense or whatever, instead of an avenger going out and, just, and start just killing, they would go to one of these cities of refuge. After a trial, right. So there would be a trial, and if he were found not guilty indeed of, of murder and it was an accident, then he would go to a city of refuge. They could stay in the city of refuge. To escape the any kind of avenging. The avenger, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and, and that... He had to stay there, though, in the city of refuge until the high priest under which he was convicted or given or acquitted, acquitted, I guess, yes. uh, when that uh, high priest, when the high priest passed to the next one, then he would be free to go back to his tribe without fear of the avenger. But he had to stay in the city of refuge uh, mm-hmm. for that period of time, which is. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was an understanding of that that made more sense than I just th- saying it right now yeah. in my words. I think it it, it does ex- it shows the uh, um, sophistication of their judicial system. There I mean, was it, an attempt. It makes an allowance for hey accidents happen. Things happen. Uh-huh. That things are not people are not guilty. Mm-hmm. There is a judgment mm-hmm. that took place. It kind of a, it, it it reminds me what kind of how in Leviticus you know where God is teaching them almost how to be human. He's making them more human, more and more in His likeness, more and more. It kind of seems like they're one example of that coming about the yeah. the mercy and making allowance for mercy injustice and uh that ultimately that's the heart of uh, and that's God's character were there there were there were six cities of refuge Kadesh Golan Golan Ramoth Shechem Bezer and Jerusalem and the Levites received 48 other cities uh, and the surrounding pasture land that they could they could live in, occupy, and so on, uh, the cities. They didn't receive territory, but the cities that they could live in and, and having pasture land around them. So they didn't have a territory for themselves in that sense. And, and they were supported in, to some degree, particularly as in their official role in the tabernacle and, and later on the temple, they were supported by the offerings of the people of Israel uh, in their their faith offerings or uh, the different offerings they brought to the, the tabernacle. So um, the people, uh, the Levites were there doing their task and looking out for the people. Now we're going to see, we're going to see all that work out now when we move from the book of Joshua here. As we get into the time of the judges, then you're going to see how this 
was supposed to have worked out and how it actually worked out because of mm-hmm. the weakness and the disobedience of the people, uh, it, it, it fell apart yeah. fairly quickly, uh, you know, about uh, maybe about eight, eight to ten generations, only about 300, to, uh, 300 years or so that it lasted, and, and they just almost totally disintegrated. Uh, they were under, they were, they were oppressed and persecuted by their enemies. They did not complete the task of driving the idolatry and the wickedness out of the land, and so they suffered all of those different consequences. And we'll see that take place dramatically and very sadly when we get into the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. This coming week now, tomorrow night, night yeah. we start with the first opening chapters of the book of Judges. And so I hope that you will join with us in going to thebiblelive.com. You can see the reading uh, coming up there on t- for tomorrow. Uh, this morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, it'll become active, and you can start listening to the 30-minute Bible reading for Monday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as well. And we will cover the book of Judges this coming week. Let's see what else, what other question might we put out there that people might, maybe we could generate a call or someone who would like to give us a call and a thought about some of these. You had an idea. Oh, whose remains? This is something we could pick up. Uh, At the very final chapter, 24, the physical remains of, of a body whose remains were finally buried in the promised land as he had requested Almost 400 years earlier, an amazing, amazing little detail takes place in Joshua chapter 24, whose remains were finally buried in the promised land as requested almost 400 years earlier. If you'd like to give us a call, I'd love to see someone answer that question for us. 210-340-9585. The answer is in chapter 24, verse 32 of Joshua. Um, Let's see. Here's another question. Toward the end of the book of Joshua, the tribes within Canaan almost went to war with the tribes east of the Jordan River. Remember I said that uh, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had taken their possession of land, their allotment of land, from the east side of the Jordan and something happens in chapter 22 of Joshua that ca- almost causes a civil war. The tribes of Canaan almost go to war with those three tribes on the east side. Why did that happen? If you can give us an answer, I'd love for you to give us a call. Let's see if someone out there can give us uh, an answer to those two questions. Whose remains were finally buried in the promised land? as had been requested almost 400 years earlier? And why was there almost a civil war? Why did the tribes of Canaan almost go to war with the tribes uh, on the east side of the Jordan in chapter 22 of the book of Joshua? All right, give us a call, 210-340-9585. There is an incident here, Stacy, that probably is worth remarking on. Uh, it, it has to do with females, with women in the culture. In chapter yeah. 17, the daughters of Zelophehad, we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. they inherited their land uh, 
along with their tribal inheritance. Their mm-hmm. father had been Zelophehad. And uh, so we see there uh, the women inheriting in, uh, on the same level as men their, uh, their, their allotments of land as well. And then there is this um, Aksaw, who is the daughter of Caleb. In chapter 15, uh, she is given by her father uh, additional land with water wells from, from his inheritance, and that is Aksaw. She ends up marrying the first judge of these. Tw- we're going to go. We're going to find these twelve judges of of, of Israel in the book of the Judges. And the first one is named Othniel. He was Caleb's nephew and uh, the first of the 12 judges in the book of Judges. That That is an interesting uh, sidebar, an interesting detail of the book of Joshua as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what what is there about Joshua, Stacy? Have we covered most of the things that we mentioned? Is there anything that you think that how can the book of Joshua serve us? How does it help us? Uh, and, and as believers today, how can it be instructive? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, probably one of the more, I don't know if relaxing is the word, but um, to me, I'll just go back to, I mean, the sun standing still and to the Battle of Jericho and to the crossing on dry land. Yes. Uh-huh. When you are in God's will and when you are so intent on following and obeying and loving him, he He makes a way. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's all at once the hardest thing you'll ever do and yet the easiest thing you'll ever do. Uh, and I think that I, that's just very comforting to me in the, in the middle of a book that's can be kind of horrific. I mean, at times stonings and war and burning people or uh, even the evil of the Canaanites and the sexual immorality or the child sacrifices. In the middle of all of that, though, there seems there's there's just the sovereignty of, of God, that overarching redemptive plan that we can rest in. And... Yeah. Um, I, 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 as hard as a, as the book can be sometimes. And then you look at judges and judges is, Oh, that's pretty, you know, it's, it's not getting any easier (laughs) in a way. Um, but, uh, I, I think that's, that's a, a takeaway. Yeah. I think it would preach. I I think it would, this would, what you're saying there, what your comments leads me to understand that a, a lot of times, we think of the Christian life as we live from day to day, week to week, with our families, with our job. You know, we're going through our routine mm-hmm. here in yeah. South Texas and America, and things are going on around us and so on. As a, you know, the political world and the news and this and the, and the other. But we're we're living our lives as nice, normal, relatively comfortable uh, Americans yeah. in, in the wealthiest nation in the world, and we mm-hmm. uh, things go along, and you know. You know Let's say, for example, not all of us, but those of us you know who know and love the Lord, and most of us are part of a congregation. We go to our church, and mm-hmm. in other words, we have a process of life. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that the Christian life is not just a kind of a straight-laced, religious, comfortable lifestyle that. 
we go through you know, a little hiccups here and there and a little mm-hmm. little tough time, a little temptation here and there. But but it's not just a, a lifestyle of, well, we go to church and we do this and we're nice and we're civil and we, we give to the poor. And, that, and I, I'm not trying to belittle any of that stuff. But we, we often forget that the Christian life is a miraculous, supernatural life. Yeah. It's not just going with the flow and having good manners and and you know just kind of being a nice person in general right. and so on it it is a a life of integrity it's a life of truth telling it's a life of mercy and helping others and loving others sacrificially mm-hmm. loving others uh it's it's looking out for the well-being of others uh, before our own at times in other words the the Christian life is supposed to be a supernatural life, mm-hmm. just like the conquest of of Jordan of mm-hmm. Israel of Canaan had to, was to supernatural. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a function of the biggest army and who trained the most and who had the most weapons. It, it was a super the miracles, you know, the the sun standing still and and the the other things you mentioned going across the Jordan on dry right, land right. and so on. These miracles that we saw that and and it reminds me that for us as believers. When we obey God and trust God, and yes, part of that is going to church. You know, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, we're told in the book of Hebrews. Being Being a part of God's people, gathering together to encourage one another, Mm -hmm. to build one another, strengthen one, to learn from God's word and help each other. I mean, that's a part of it. Yes, that's a part of it. But but even that we do in faith. Mm -hmm. We come together and we, we go to church and... We pray and we say, God, speak to me today from the, from the preacher to the music to the worship. Receive my worship. Receive my, cleanse my heart. Show me something within me that, so all of these, in other words, it's not just a series of activities. It's faith steps that we're taking. And we want to live in the supernatural. And I think when we live that way, then we are actually going to see miracles. Mm-hmm. That's when we see miracles mm-hmm. and when we're aware of God and we're trusting yeah. God and taking a, a deliberate, intentional steps of faith and trust and, and following God and seeking Him. That's when we actually see the sun stand still. Right. That's when we see the walls fall down. Right. That's when we see God provide that's when in a see, miraculous that's way. That's when we see all the things that we really wanted all along. Yeah. You know, when we, and as we so often try to get them, though, in our own efforts mm-hmm. and by our own. And that reminds me again of that Lewis quote, right? When you, uh, when you seek first things, you get second things thrown in. If you seek after second things, you lose both first and second. It reminds when you're when you're seeking after just the victory, or you're seeking after the miracle or this, but not the miracle maker, then you miss both. Yeah. But when you are just focused on that miracle worker, the miracles come. That's a that's thrown in. That's it reminds of me of that first opening chapters about blessings and curses you know god's at work he's going to be there and we want to experience the blessings and so we want to walk in obedience and faith and trust folks thank you for being with us tonight as we look at the book of joshua we'll go on to the book of judges this coming week i hope you'll join us next sunday night for the bible live thank you the bible live is dedicated to helping restore the bible to our culture Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas. 
78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 